Hello, and welcome to another episode of SBCC Vaquero Voices, a podcast highlighting the unique voices that comprise our campus culture and how we're all working together to serve our students and the community at large. As usual, I'm joined by co-host Akil Hill. What is good, y'all? And today we are honored to welcome Martha Swanson to the show. Welcome, Martha. Welcome, Martha. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So Martha is, is not only my boss, she's also the executive director of marketing communications is that the that is the oh, title come right come on come on i, I mean all, i know i know we're in the office of communications <laughs> and i He's know you're actually brand new dude i you're don't know what the office i i mean and, and you know full disclosure my former boss loses on the show as well and i didn't know the title then so. <laughs> oh, Han, wow. hey, that sounds like a, that sounds like a review that's, that sounds like that needs to go on the review, the annual review. Noted. Thank you. Because on the door just says Office of Communications, and, it, and that it's is not. such a oversimplification of what we do, that if you could give us the full title and kind of a breakdown of, because even from when Luce was on the show, everything has changed. Everything is so wild and you know, not wild, I guess, but it, it just broadened and, and it's, it's not a lake, it's an ocean. So yeah, official title and, and all responsibilities therein. If you could just lay it on the line for us here, <laughs> settled in. How, how long's the show? No. Yeah. Right. And uh, I hope you're taking notes on this song. <laughs> I, I should be. Yeah. I feel like maybe we should make Hong answer the question. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Kidding, kidding, kidding. Uh, I am the executive director of public affairs and communications. Now that is a mouthful of the title and you're absolutely right, Han. It is a little confusing because I am the head of the office of communications. Public affairs isn't in that name. Marketing isn't in that name. But let me tell you, the office of communications is really the office of marketing, public relations, or yes, public affairs would be another way of saying that government relations mm. and communications and then keeping in mind of course that marketing encompasses advertising branding social media and of course the one thing that i assume hong could tell you our office does because he does it our website He's <laughs> which the web, is the which is a, a marketing yeah because they they brought me into the fold because it was a part of the marketing piece as you know as it was an it position before but it fits in the market and and being in the office i definitely see how that does fit in and that, and i think now that i hear the title the term public affairs is a little kind of nebulous too it's hard to you know like it feels in, dated it, in a post social media world everything is a public affair so so in terms of that cuz you are you are also our pio right our public information officer yeah yeah so for for natural disasters and things that's where when the word needs to get out to the spcc community you are kind of the primary contact there. So is that is that part of the public affairs? Is that part of the just communications or? You know, I, I think <laughs> a little bit of everything because guess what else, you know, and when, when there's an emergency, guess what we're using? Social media, it's, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. there, then there's a marketing aspect to everything. So yeah, it is broad and it can be a little nebulous, I suppose would be the, would be the word. And the other thing that our office does, and in particular that I found myself doing um, since starting here is, um, and I think, it, I think it can vary from executive to executive, um, but I have a lot of experience in advising and assisting like the, you know, the ultimate boss, whether that's the CEO, and in this case, our superintendent president on, on their communications. And so I've been, I've been doing that as well. And, you know, that's something I'm accustomed to having live in this sort of office or department as well. And, and I know you had some experience in education sector before, but it was not at this level, like an executive director level. 
So in terms of, you know, you've, you probably, you, you were a communication, I mean, we'll get to this more in the, what brought you SBCC section, but you were a communications professional. Like you, this is, this was your, you know, all your, all your previous jobs are communication jobs. Is it a lot different doing it in the educational sector or is it kind of a lot of things are similar? Is it as all encompassing because it really does seem all encompassing here at, at the college? It isn't, it isn't. <laughs> I, say that. I say that because no, it's not unusual that an office of communications or that all of these things that our office is responsible for are grouped together. And really they should be. You know, I know that this office was formed as a result of there being a separate marketing department and then a separate just PIO, um, who I assume also did, you know, media relations and, and other PR stuff. Combining them is absolutely the right way to go because it all does relate to an organization or an institution or a thing's reputation. And that's that's how I like to describe marketing and communications to people. It's reputation management. Like mm. if there's anything that's going to affect our reputation, I either need to know about it and I, I definitely need to know about it. I need to be doing something about it. And whether that is something that's reactive or proactive, you know, the proactive side of that is, yeah, all our outgoing advertising and marketing, trying to recruit students here, trying to get folks to come to events on campus, that sort of thing. Um, and that stuff, why I've enjoyed working in marketing and communications is that it has allowed me to jump around from industry to industry. And it's fun that way because once you develop the skills that are needed to do the function of this job, then you kind of get to then learn new things wherever you go. If you, if you go from industry to industry, you get to learn about, okay, like for instance, SBCC is my first public organization. So there is, I will admit, a bit more of a learning curve than I thought there would be for that, but it's, it's fascinating. And it's all stuff that I've never had to deal with before from public records requests to the way that we're funded and all of that. Then, you know, before here I was at a museum and that's, you know, as opposed to trying to get someone to come to a, some come to a school for, you know, two, three, four years, I was trying to get people to come to a place for an afternoon and maybe become a member of the organization or to give us money because we were a nonprofit. I've also worked at a home builder, a fortune 500 publicly traded company. So I kind of got a crash course in the things related to, to that. And there's a whole, you know, there's, there's rules and regulations um, related to that. So the basic functions of the job have, have not really, well, no, I'm not going to say they haven't changed because the thing is I've been doing this work now for, oh boy, eight, mm, 18 years, <laughs> you're 16, you know, 16, somewhere around there. And, you know, I used to clip paper articles out of the newspaper for our files. Now it's the majority of news coverage is online and you, you know, you maybe make a PDF. And obviously social media wasn't so much a thing. You had to have a university email address when I first started working to be on Facebook, for instance. And there were plenty of social networks that have become defunct um, that were active throughout the time that I've been doing the work. So, so yeah, so it's, I hope that answers your question. It's, I will say, because I've worked places where marketing and PR are kind of separated and it doesn't work. It doesn't work from my experience. And so having all of the functions that our office does under one office, I think is really smart. So it sounds like the answer is D, all the above. <laughs> I suppose so. Uh, yes. Suppose so. <laughs> and I guess the follow-up to that question is, is it a similar situation where 
you know you're doing a pretty good job when nobody knows what you do or like because you know because there's there's no fires to put out like you, you you're, you're you're in a bad place when there's a million fires to put out everyone's like oh my god everything's going crazy everyone's like what's going on here yeah that kind of kind of thing where where a lot of people ask you well so what does your office do and in in, in some ways that's kind of a good thing because it's like well at least things are relatively managed and then there's the you know the the higher hanging fruit that you can get to or is it is it just kind of here is unique in that respect that's interesting you put it that way i do think that that is the case actually because yeah if what we're doing is working things should be good we should be hitting enrollment targets we should be doing that now of course specifically here at sbcc we know that right now the college is experiencing and has been experiencing a great decline in enrollments there and there have been some public relations issues and whatnot so, you know, it's, <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a tricky question. Yeah. Um, and, and in other industries, like in IT, when everything's going right and no one has anything to say, they, they never think twice that you're not, that people aren't working hard. So right. IT, you know, you get the benefit of the doubt and in, in art in you know, marketing communications, it's almost the opposite where they're like, oh, they must be blown it. They must be just like twiddling their thumbs in their offices all day. But no, I mean, the, I, the, our team. We are small but mighty. We we are definitely like nose to the grindstone. We're 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 grinding in there. Absolutely, so. absolutely. So all right, I, I'm probably the slacker of the group, and everybody oh. walk, I, when I walk I walk around campus, everyone looks at me like, oh yeah, Hong's really on it. And I'm just like, you don't even know how my team my team is my team is grinding. So I feel like the slacker in there a lot of times. So yeah. So I, I yeah. Now that you framed it that way, you're right. I have a feeling that a lot of people don't appreciate how much work is going on behind the scenes. Um, because yeah, to your point, some stuff just happens and it happens well. And then and it may just be taken for granted. So yeah, no, there's, there's a lot. We're juggling a lot back here. <laughs> I thought she was going to say, you're right. You are a slacker. <laughs> well, that, oh. that, why not both? Why, why not, not both? both? <laughs> no, no, no. We, no. Hong's right. We, 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 I need to give credit, credit to the team. You know, I just joined the college in September. Um, that's, you know, so what is that? Have I been here eight months, nine months? Uh, I can't tell if it feels longer or shorter. I still feel like I have a lot to learn. So in some ways that it feels short, um, but in other ways, like, Hey, yeah, like I made it to like, commencement happened. Like it was awesome. That's great. But they have been such an amazing source of support for me. And really I came on at a very challenging time. Shout out to the team. Um, Amanda, Kirsten, Sally, office communications, just a lot going on. Martha, if you could kind of go into things you're working on now or or what, what's the state of the department, I guess, today speak on that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So over the last, oh, the most of most of the school year, I've been a part of the strategic enrollment management committee here at the college. And that uh, has been amazingly led by Dr. Kathy Scott, who, as we all know, is leaving us. And, you know, I think she's counting down the days right now. It's mid-June. She's leaving us uh, at the end of the fiscal year. And, but she's done a great job. She kind of wanted to be sure that we went into this new year with a strategic enrollment management plan. Because as everyone knows, it's no secret, 
enrollments have been declining. And to be clear, not just here at SBCC, but at community colleges and colleges and universities across the country, across right. the state, across the country, like everywhere. Um, they were and they were specifically declining here um, before the pandemic. And then the pandemic just exacerbated that. And so I am most excited about contributing to that plan with the uh, sort of rethinking our college's marketing and advertising strategy. I mean, in, in the face of dwindling enrollment, we, we have to. Um, so in my mind, there's two key parts to growing enrollment, both attracting new students and retaining students, because, you know, the old adage, and again, this is kind of where my work applies across sectors, across industries, the old thing is like, it's five times more expensive to get a new customer than it is to keep an existing one. Um, I mean, you know, think about it. That's why customer loyalty programs exist. That's why customer experience, customer service matters. If you have a good experience somewhere, you're treated well somewhere, you're going to tell people about it. You're going to have a warm, fuzzy association with a product or place. You're going to go back there continually. And then that's great. Then that place doesn't have to worry about serving you an ad or convincing you to come in and try it because you've been sold on it. And so I say all that to say, our students and happy engaged students can be one of our strongest marketing tools. And so we've got to get more of them back and we've got to keep them. And so the work that my office does, our office does, helps cast sort of a wide net and get as many people introduced to SBCC and its programs, get them intrigued about what they could do here. And then need to think about it holistically. And that's what I think is really great about the guided pathways framework, which when I first got here, you know, and then that word was being thrown around and I was like, oh, what is this? This sounds very specific to, to community colleges or, you know, oh, this is something else I'm going to have to learn. But then once I dug into it and got a great introduction to it by um, uh, faculty member Margaret Prothero, I realized, oh, this is just the customer journey, um, which is something that's talked about everywhere I've ever worked. Um, it's, you know, it's that, and then the way that we talk about it here, it's just, it's just done specifically to the community college system or the chancellor's office. This guided pathways framework is about four phases for each student connection, entry, progress, and completion. And where our office plays the biggest part is in that connection phase. Um, and, you know, but my point in saying that is, is that all four of those things need to be working in harmony and need to be going well in order for us to retain a student and to see them through to completion so that then they're happy with us, so that then they talk about their great experience so that then someone else wants to come here too. Um, that's the best, you know, we can't, we can't buy that sort of advertising. Um, and so that's why it's really important. And the holistic approach is also really important because let's say we come up with the most clever, most eyeball catching advertising campaign ever, you know, people are talking about it. If then they get here and the experience doesn't match up to the expectation, that's horribly disappointing for someone. The reverse is true as well. If we create amazing programs and you know, like some of which we already have, and if we have amazing student support services, which we know we do, if that's all running perfectly, but then whatever we're doing for marketing isn't working, you know, you, you can't just build it and they will come. Like you need to get people to actually come, come see it. So all of these, my point is that all of these things have to be working in harmony and they have to be aligned with one another to be successful. So I'm optimistic that the strategic enrollment management plan will put us on a path to doing that in tandem with the work that's being done with guided pathways. And just with the, I think sort of hopefully renewed excitement around 
you know, coming out of the pandemic and more students being on campus. And yeah, that's come with a lot of challenges, but you know, I think there's reason to be hopeful. Yeah, absolutely. That's where marketing something like an education is tough because we don't sell widgets. You know, we don't, it's not just a sign. We're just trying to get people to come in the door and co-sign a loan or just a single point of entry. It's you, we're making the initial connection and then they, they have to not only just apply and enroll, they have to take classes and they have to succeed. We, we want to see success. You know, we want folks to come out of here with transfer degrees or associate's degrees or just whatever classes they want to take, have, enjoy themselves and then have that be the story. So it's, it's not just what we do as an office. It's a, it's a confluence of factors. It's societal factors where, what, where, how are their lives or what are they going through? And you, we, we all know what mental health is like throughout this pandemic. And so there's just so many pieces to it that it's, you, you do the best you can and, and you have some, some metrics, but at the end of the day, there's, there's so much that is involved in this, you know, the student supports stuff that, you know, in Keel's office, Keel's building over there. I mean, helping folks along and there's just so many pieces to this process that it, it, it yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough nut to crack, but it's a, it's a good problem. It's a, it's good to try, you know, I think it's, it's cool. It's an exciting challenge, I got to say, and, and I'll, I'll just say, you know, specifically a couple things that I'm looking to do in the coming year are allocate more of our advertising and marketing resources, aka budget, to digital advertising and um, online marketing, uh, just because we can track that more readily uh, and we can really see what our return on investment is on those things. And we also know that's where an awful lot of our prospective students are. That's where a lot of just the general population is anyway. And then the other thing is, you know, you said, oh, we're not just selling a widget. Like it's a big decision to come here. It is. And so I was struck by the fact that, and I understand why, you know, the college has traditionally invested a lot of advertising dollars just around these windows of time where you can register for classes. And that's great because yes, you need to know and when you can actually take an action and actually get started here. But I don't know. I know I certainly didn't make the decision about what I was going to do for school, uh, you know, within a six week period. So I want to be sure that we're kind of out in the market year round. And to be clear, there have been some things that have been done already like that, but I want to do a few more things um, so that SBCC is top of mind and is in, in the consideration set for our potential students throughout the year. And then, you know, rehash, hit them real hard when it's time to actually take action and register. Because the other thing is, you guys know, you can apply year round here and we're not going to tell you no. So get in the, get in the queue, get your steps to enrollment done and then register when it's time. So those are, those are the things that I'm excited about getting to do. Nice. And fortunately the college does sell itself in a way, you know, the, the location, Santa Barbara, weather-wise and all these things. Yeah. Like it, there's not much that we have to do. You just have to kind of get them aware that we exist. And, and if they come, it'll, it does sell itself to a certain extent. Yeah. You've got to get them aware and you've got to get them to see the value in, in spending the time and effort here, I think, you know, and, and some of that, you know, Hong, you were saying some of it's out of our control. I think the biggest thing we're kind of fighting right now are just greater societal and world condition issues. You know, there's a lot of reasons why someone could right now be saying, Ooh, I don't know if I want to, invest time, even though we are extremely affordable, um, you know, now may not be the time for them to outlay any form of any sum of money. They may not think, they may think, oh, I can just go get a job right now because the job market is going crazy. Um, and I don't need to go get that certificate or I don't need that degree. Um, and there could have been things, you know, we know so many people were affected and have been, continue to be affected by the pandemic. And, and we don't, 
we, we don't know precisely why a lot of people may, may not be coming back or may not be opting to continue their educational journey right now. I think you hit that right on the head. I think there was a period of time that people would come and see our campus and they were automatically instantly sold just on the location. But now I, I really think people are looking at it with the cost of with the inflation, the cost of uh, housing here in Santa Barbara. They're kind of thinking a little bit differently now. And so, you know, they're looking at like, wow, do I send my son or daughter away, pay, you know, out-of-state tuition, a couple of these the housing crisis in town. So I think all that kind of weighs more now than it has ever weighed before in, in years past. And, you know, I'm from Santa Barbara and I, and I kind of know that that's where people, a lot of people are at. I mean, it was a shut case before. It'd be like a lot of people went to Santa Barbara high school, would go straight to Santa Barbara city college. And, and now it's even easier with promise, but I think the out of state people are, are kind of looking a little bit differently about it now, you know? So I think you're spot on. I have one question for you that I've been thinking about. So in terms of like, if, if someone was doing something on campus and wanted like something good, let's say, right? Something positive that would bring good publicity to the college, how do they actually get in touch with your department and to get word out? I think there's a lot of good work that's happening on campus and people may not necessarily know how to, to loop you guys into the fold uh, on what they're doing. So I, I, if you could feel that for us, I think it would be great. Of course. And yeah, I, I, one of my favorite things to say is I can't help you or we can't tell your story if we don't know it's happening. Hmm. So <laughs> that's, that's the, that's one thing we, we, we need to know about everything. Um, and we're happy to know about everything because there's a variety of ways. And so how you do that, the basic answer is email us, pick up the phone, come by the office. There's usually one of us here on any given day. Um, but email is absolutely a great way to do it. Also on the website, um, if you go to the Office of Communications sections on, on the site, um, there is a, what do we call it, Hong? Help. help help request form? Yes, there we go. Help request form. And you can fill that out. That helps us stay organized. Um, but if you're you know not sure about that, please just send us an email. Uh, and or or pick up the phone and let us know about it. And we can we can do a variety of things for you. Sometimes we can help you actually promote it. You know, try to get the word out about what's happening. We can use it as an opportunity to try to get press coverage, for instance, if it's a big enough event or if it's something unique enough or if it's the first thing um, media love to know about anything that is new anything that is the first, anything that is celebrating some milestone or hitting some particularly impressive, you know, record number of something. Um, so yeah, just, and if you think, oh, this isn't a big deal, there's no, there, there's no little deals. Come, come, come tell us, come tell us what's going on and then we can figure out what's appropriate. I'll put the link to the help request form in the show notes and also our, our email address, which is marketing at sbcc.edu. Perfect. So. And, if, and if you want the long, the longer answer to that question, I did actually give a presentation about this at the spring in service. Ooh, I'll see if I can track down that recording. Yeah. <laughs> that, was the, that was the question you asked, Akil, was oh. literally the frame of the, of the, of the presentation that I did alongside um, Jennifer uh, from LeMay from the SBCC Foundation. Okay, great.
All right. So segueing into our next our next part, um, what brought you to SPCC, Martha? I know that uh, you mentioned that you've been in you know communications work for going you know over fifteen years now. Um, so what what brought you to SPCC? What what made SPCC the place for you to continue your communications career? <laughs> well, how do I frame this? Let's see. Uh, and how far back do I go? How far back do you want to go is the question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like this yeah. is your life, you know? Right, <laughs> right. Right. Well, I think I think it might help for me to share, and I and this may help um, folks who are listening to relate to this, I hope. So I I had a pretty conventional childhood. I grew up um, in the suburbs of Chicago, spent my entire life up until age 25 um, in and around the Chicago Burbs. And you know, for me you know, which I know is very different from many of our students. It was assumed I was going to college. I was going to four-year college. You know, I got, had my sights set on going to Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois. I was a very good student in high school. And so I was able to make that dream come true. And I went. The thing was, though, is that I had no idea what I wanted to do. I actually applied there thinking it would help me get in if I declared myself as a computer science major as a female. (laughs) Mm. And I took a class and I got in. And so, you know, I have, who knows if if I had declared being a communications major, if that outcome would have been different or not. I I hope not. (laughs) But anyhow, uh, I took one, one computer science class and realized it was not for me. And so then I just started taking, you know, some of the stuff I had to and started exploring some other things that seemed interesting. And I happened to live in the communications residential college, which was, I don't know where y'all went to school, if if things like that were a thing, like having groupings of certain types of students live together was a thing. Oh, yeah. Okay, great. So I was in the, the communications norm, effectively. And so I met a bunch of journalism students, radio, TV, film students, and then some who were just doing general communications. And I pondered journalism for a bit and then decided that seemed a little too limiting. And I wasn't sure, but you know, that was exactly what I wanted to do. So then I started, I ended up going the communications route. I also took a lot of psychology courses. And so I double majored that. And so now I love to say, Hey, yeah, I'm actually doing work. Um, and what my, what my major was, but I will tell you, I didn't even know once I had that degree what I really wanted to do. So the very first job that I applied for out of school was actually in the only thing that I had ever done up until that point, which was a form of teaching. I was an assistant preschool teacher for a year um, back in my hometown. And my only other job up until then had been teaching tennis lessons. So I went and did what I knew how to do and was a little aimless um, at first, I got to say. I had graduated a year early as well. So like a lot of my friends, you know, were still in college. And so I, again, flailing a little bit, living back at home with my parents and preschool was over at three o'clock and the pay was terrible. So I got another part-time job working at a department store, which if there's any listeners from the Midwest was Von Maurer, which was a, it's a small family owned department store. Akil, aren't you originally from like Ohio or something? <laughs> no, I'm a, I'm from the, uh, Nebraska. I spent time Nebraska. in Nebraska. So then yeah. you probably know about Von Myers. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So you know, it was like a smaller, similar philosophy to like Nordstrom, 
some mm-hmm. nicer stuff, big focus on customer service, all that. Yep. Um, their thing was also this interest-free, I say it like they don't exist anymore. They do still exist, um, to my knowledge. Uh, their thing was an interest-free credit card and just very personalized customer service. So anyway, um, and I love that job at the time. I got to hang out with women, mostly around my age, surrounded by clothes that I love to wear, and I got a sweet discount on. And, you know, with the benefit of time, now looking back on it, I think that my jobs in retail, because then I did end up, I thought that I wanted to pursue a career in this, like become a buyer or a retail merchandiser or something. And I did it for about four years, three or four years. I moved from Von Martin Nordstrom and they had some corporate offices there. And I thought that that was going to be the dream, like work at the corporate office. But I ultimately got burned out on the schedule. Uh, um, yeah. Burned out on the schedule. And, and if I'm honest, I think a little bit, you know, engaging with the public, like, because at both those places, like you had to put on a happy face and the customer was never, ever wrong. Even when they're jerks. I know. <laughs> right, right. I used to manage at Nordstrom as well. So I am, I'm relating to all of your story right now. Nice. nice. <laughs> yeah, what yeah. department did you manage? Uh, the rail. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, young men's basically. Right, right, right. No, I, yeah, I know. They call everything weird things, brass plum. And yeah, I, yeah. Uh, I was the manager of Studio 121. Yep. <laughs> and Fasanab. Fasanab, yep. And I started in, what's it called? Express. TBD. Oh, I started TBD. In- yeah, TBD. Man, I, I'm the computer guy over here being like, what are these? What is this terminology? What are these acronyms? <laughs> like, y'all confuse me over here. <laughs> but I feel, I feel, I have. I have absolutely no doubt that why you are probably so great at your job and working with students is because of some of that initial training that you got at Nordstrom. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I think. And I, I, I hired someone once um, at my, at my last job because most of her work experience was at Nordstrom. And so I was just like, you know what? Yeah. What you're saying right now, I believe you because I know that that's what you had to do there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I'm so glad we found out we have that in common. But yeah, I think I think why I loved it and why it has proven to be useful for me is that, you know, doing retail merchandising, being an associate, that's a form of marketing. And it also showed me how important customer service is. So anyway, I was doing that, realized I was kind of burned out on it. Just, you know, was, yeah, a little aimless, to be honest, in my life, you know, in my early 20s. And so I decided to up and move to L.A., because I grew up coming out to Southern California quite often because I had some, I still have some family here. And so, you know, I was familiar with it. It's, you know, I had never lived anywhere outside of the greater Chicagoland area, but moving to California didn't seem that scary, but it still felt like a fun, big, exciting change. And so I did it. And also my cousin who I was quite close with, uh, you know, said, we said, when we grow up, we want to live together. And so we made that happen. She was in graduate school at the time and I had just moved to LA and we lived on, lived on the West side near Culver city together for about a year, year and a half. And, uh, and then, you know, kind of did our own things, but yeah, when I moved to LA, just to make sure I had a paycheck, I did transfer within Nordstrom. I worked at the store at, um, oh God, Akil. The Santa Monica one? Which one was it? Oh, maybe you'll relate to this. Oh, Santa Monica's pretty new. No, store 341, Topanga. Topanga. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I know all the numbers. Oak Brook, (laughs) Michigan Avenue, 220. Yeah. Yep. Store 341, Topanga. I can't remember what I ate for breakfast yesterday, but I can remember that stuff. Yep. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, I, I, I took an assistant manager job at the store at Topanga Canyon 
And then that really made me realize how quickly I wanted to get out of there because there was an interesting <laughs> customer base at that store. Oh my gosh. Um, very demanding, very particular. And Sadiddy, Sadiddy. So, <laughs> they're very Sadiddy in that store. <laughs> what does that mean? You know, this is Diddy, like kind of like high, high on the hog, so to speak. Okay. You know? Okay. Yeah. All right. Yes, that's an accurate way to describe it. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I hooked up with a recruiter or a temp agency or something. I forget exactly what it was. And, you know, said, hey, I'm looking to make a change. I don't, this is what my degrees and this is my experience. I don't really know what I can do. And the bottom line is it got me a fair number of interviews for like executive and administrative assistant jobs. Meanwhile, you know, I think my parents were horrified that I was a working a retail job with a degree from Northwestern and then was, you know, maybe going to go get an assistant job. But the thing was, was that, yeah, that got my foot in the door. And I ended up putting my foot in the door at KB Home, which is one of the nation's largest home builders. And I was the, I was hired to be the executive assistant to the senior vice president of corporate communications. Now this was in, this is important, this context I'm about to provide. This was in June, 2007. And in August, 2007, as the housing market was starting to collapse, that senior vice president was let go. <laughs> the woman I was hired to be the assistant to was let go. And, and, I, was, and I was really jazzed on the job, you guys, because you know, I kind of explained to her that, yeah, I'm not really not sure what I want to do, but like your work sounds like it could, you know, corporate communications, what does that mean? And what is P, what do you do as a PR person? And she was really willing. And she was like, look, you're going to have to, you're going to have to set up my travel. You're going to have to manage my calendar. But like in the interim, I can tell you're, you know, that you're very capable. I want to give you some writing assignments. I want to kind of mentor you, nurture you. I was like, fantastic. And so we were getting along great. And then one day she was out of there. <laughs> because budget issues. So we all got moved from the one floor of the building we were on. Luckily, they, they didn't cut the team right away. We had to kind of go and re-interview in a way with the head of marketing, a woman who also very graciously decided to kind of, I think, take, you know, I, I viewed it as her taking me under her wing because she gradually gave me more responsibility. She was like, well, I already have an assistant, so you can't really be my assistant. And I was like, okay, well, what else could I do? I'm pretty good at writing and I'm interested in this. And luckily she gave me a chance. And in the time I was at KB Home, I watched a department, a PR department of close to ooh, 25 to 30 people dwindle to four. And I was one of them. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was a very interesting experience because if you remember that period of time, it only got worse. The market like completely crashed in 2008. They basically were blaming folks like, like KB Home and mortgage brokers. And at the time KB Home did have either, I forget if it was complete, a completely distinct arm. We had a mortgage lending arm as well. And so, you know, we were, the office is right there in Westwood, right across from the federal building. And that corner is a hot spot for protests in LA. And there were a few times the protests were targeted at us. So, uh, you know, it ended up being a great place to learn about crisis communications uh, and also about marketing in the face of adversity and still trying to get out a good story about your, the organization you're working for. 
And so I got to do some really cool stuff there too. We had a partnership with Disney. We had a partnership with Martha Stewart. We were the first ever home giveaway. And at the time declared the biggest giveaway ever on the Ellen show, which was very fun. Gave a house away, right? Gave a house away. And the woman who got it. So I was, I was basically like the project manager for that. So that meant going to Houston every other month for the better part of a year. Um, And I was a part of like everything from, you know, figuring out logistics and meeting with the woman who was was selected to be given the home and orchestrating the surprise and making sure the Ellen show had the right branding assets. And yeah, that's one of those things where like, it just happens and, and people think, oh, that just happened. And that, you know, cool. A lot of work behind the scenes that, yeah, I'm having a hard time now recalling for you exactly what that meant, but I do know it occupied a ton of my time <laughs> for that <laughs> for that one year, but it was super fun. If you Google um, or you go on YouTube, you can find it, this woman named Lisa Jarman, and it's been interesting because she was such an exciting guest on the show, like Ellen would check in on her every so often, and so even after I left, like I would still see these things pop up in my social media feed, um, updating about this woman, and um Unfortunately, uh, she got a cancer diagnosis, I want to say about six years ago, uh, and she did ultimately pass away from that about three years ago. And then during this um, last season of Ellen that's been going on, to be clear, I don't watch Ellen a ton, but because I had had this involvement, I follow her social media accounts. So apparently this is the last season of The Ellen Show. It just ended. Uh, And so she kind of went back and looked at like memorable stuff. And uh, she had the oldest daughter of the woman who was on the show or the oldest grandchild and this woman, she was amazing. She was a single mom. She was also raising like two of her grandkids. Like it was, it was amazing that we were able to give her a house. And I always wondered though, because uh, I always wondered if she had stayed in the house and everything was all good because there was a period of time where there was a lot of backlash to those like extreme home makeover shows. And that was something that we were very aware of as we were taking on this promotional opportunity. But we made sure to, for instance, give her money to cover her increase in property taxes and all that, which is what you have to do in those situations, because that was what led to a lot of people having to give up their dream homes is that they didn't have the money to cover um, maintenance or property taxes. Anyway, happily, they are the family is still in the house and they still love it. And so that that made me feel really good about that. And it was just and, a nice a nice update. And I got to mention that, you know, like it, you, you, they, someone gave you a chance that gave you home and that, that chance made a big difference. You know, like, I feel like me on the path, the career path I'm on today is because someone gave me a chance and gave me a tech job when I had a philosophy degree. And then that is what kind of paves the way to, to, to start a career path. And, and it, it, it did the same for you, which is, which yeah. is really cool. A hundred percent. And, and, you know, I, I, I don't forget that. And I, I always try to do that. And, you know, sorry to, you too, but particularly for, for younger women, um, that's kind of a, a thing for me. Like I love to be able to take, um, you know, I, I, I love being able to kind of mentor and help lift up, um, the work of the work of other women, especially, but yeah, absolutely. It's, 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 it's nice and humbling to remember like, yeah, I'm only here. Wendy, that woman at KB home who, you know, was the, was the person who was my new boss after just two months, she could have very easily been like, Oh, we don't need another assistant. Yeah. Just let her go. But she didn't. And, you know, who knows what would have happened if, if, if she hadn't said that. So, yeah, definitely, definitely grateful for that. And that's I, I don't forget that. I don't forget that. So, oh, I'm sorry. I'm being ex- ex- I feel like I'm being long winded here. 
So let, let's keep it moving fast. I got this great experience at KB Home, but then life, I decided I wanted a life change. I had just gotten married. And so my husband and I wanted to get out of LA. Like we had loved it, but you know, we were then at that point, you know, both in our turn in 30, early thirties, whatever, you know, wanted to get out of the hustle and bustle, wanted to maybe own a house, wanted to get a dog. And so we moved, we moved to Oxnard, lived in the same neighborhood that we do now, actually. And I took a job at Cal Lutheran to do communications work for the office of the president there. Uh, That was a new role. And when I alluded to, oh, I think it's really smart when marketing and communications are all, you know, under the same leader, it was not that way at Cal Lutheran. And I think it had been that way at KB Home, um, you know, and, and so I was used to that. And so it was a shock to the system. And, and then, yeah, I'll admit, like I saw some inefficiencies there and things that I wish, you know, could have gone differently and, but they didn't. And, but I did get acquainted with higher education and because I had loved my college experience and, you know, saw what getting a college degree could, could, could help you achieve, um, you know, I thought working in higher ed would be, would be a fun thing. And it was, and I worked directly with the president. Um, it was a brand, like I said, it was a brand new role. So there was a little bit of growing pains, kind of trying to figure out where I fit in to everything else. And I also learned, I didn't realize how involved a private school <laughs> president is involved in fundraising for a college, at least at Cal Lutheran, they were very involved. And I, you know, said something to a few other people that were like, oh yeah, like that's, they're like chief fundraiser. I was like, oh I didn't realize that, you know, here I thought they were, you know, running the school. Turns out, you know, they're like, oh, that's the provost. I was like, oh, okay, good to know. Because when you're a student, you don't know these people. (laughs) And so, so yeah, so I helped them a lot, but that did help me learn about fundraising, which I then, I was there for about three years. And then an opportunity came up to be a part of the startup team at a up and coming museum in Santa Barbara. And having grown up outside Chicago, having childhood memories of going to the amazing museums there, I was like, this sounds fun. And I've never been a part of a startup that feels like something I should do at some point in my career. And so I did. And so I went and I was the marketing and communications director for Moxie, the Wolf Museum of Exploration and Innovation here in town. I like to, you know, I tell people I was there before the walls were, um, we had temporary offices uh, in Montecito that I went to and did and did the work of starting up alongside like for, for a good period of time. It was just me, the CEO, and, a, and like a development coordinator who's now one of my best friends. <laughs> and, and then we gradually staffed up and did a whole lot of work leading up to the opening. And, and then we opened and speaking of crisis communications, then a whole bunch of, and it was amazing. It was amazing to be clear working in museums, so much fun. If you ever get the chance to do it, go do it. And being a part of a startup team was a unique and exhausting experience that I'm not sure I'd want to do that again, but I think it really taught me a lot and helped me grow a lot um, in my career. So definitely worth it for that. Then there was the Thomas fire and then uh, and the mudslide. And there were a few others that we lost our CEO in the first year. The, the museum was very, very successful, but behind the scenes, there was a lot of stuff we had to deal with. And so that also taught me a lot. And then of course, pandemic strikes, we shut down Friday, March 13th, never, never forget it. You know, we thought we were shutting down for two weeks. Like I'm sure, you know, everybody did. We all went through that together, didn't we? Mm -hmm. And the museum did not actually, we had a few fits and starts, false starts, 
you know, there were those color tiers and we could be open in one tier, but not in the other. And anyway, spent a lot of time making a whole lot of signs, new signs in the museum. We did not actually fully reopen until April, 2021, you know, survived all that. And then began thinking to myself, I may want to, you know, now may be the time to find something new. Not for any one particular reason, but because I think I felt like, okay, I got this place open. I got this place through this, somewhat through this huge crisis. And, and yeah, I suppose like a lot of people, I was a little restless and, you know, I, I didn't want to just straight up resign. You know, everyone's talking about the great resignation of the pandemic. So I obviously wanted to find a new job and I had always thought that I'd like to go back to higher education. And to be honest, I read an article in the independent about how Luz was leaving and, you know, it was mostly focusing on what her new job was going to be, but I read that and I went, huh, I wonder who's going to have her job now. I could do her job <laughs> and kept an eye on the post on the, on the website, saw the posting applied and uh, you know, the, the rest is history, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled to be back working in higher ed. I just think what we do is so important. And I think the people that work at places like this are some of the best people because they, you know, they care about helping students and they want to see students succeed. And I'm, you know, there's nothing more noble than that. Thank you. That, that, that is quite the long and winding road. And it, you know, is it, it, and you can see all the pieces Sorry. of it. My, my oh. husband tells me he marvels that I'm a professional communicator because he says that I tell my stories in a very long-winded manner. And I tell him, well, that's my work. And so when I'm not working and, you know, and this doesn't feel like work to me, just talking to you. So I'm, I'm less structured when I'm just talking. So you can edit out whatever you need. No, no, no. No, no edit there because, it, because there, there are so many pieces of that path that have brought you to where you are today. It's not like it's a linear kind of journey, but it's like you have to grab the nuggets as they come. And, it's, and, and you really have to get that whole kind of path to kind of see, you know, to see how it all came together because there's little pieces that came from KB home, from Cal Luther, from, it wasn't like you, you were destined to be here. And that's one of the things that's good to know for, you know, our audience, students, anyone listening is that, you know, every experience you have in this life, you take the nuggets that you can from it. And it's not like you're meant to take this or meant to take that. You have to just kind of grab what comes and then keep going, keep it moving, you know, so keep it moving, keep grinding. And, and, and that path will kind of make it, make itself known. As the, you... as, as the kids say, the, uh, the, the too long didn't read version of what I just said is <laughs> give people a chance. Don't be afraid to take a chance and don't be afraid to, to try new things. Yeah. And be, <laughs> op be open to opportunities. Even if you think they might not be for you, you might, you know, like, you, you can probably, as a human being, you could probably do anything on this planet that you set your mind, you know, yeah. that you put, that's put in front of you, so. And don't be intimidated. Like, again, I truly had no, I could not tell you that the job that I have today, you know, existed, that there was someone that did this work or any of the jobs I've had really when I was in college. So it's okay if you don't have it figured out. Oh, yeah. Perfectly fine. And on that note, segueing over to our uh, good eating, our food section, um, we don't know what is ahead of us because uh, full disclosure before the show, Martha gave 
Akil and I bags of things. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, and, I, and we just got right into it. And I meant <laughs> I, I brought this because I was raised to not show up to something with without a gift. You know, you guys are the hosts. And so I wanted to bring you a host gift. So I can look at look at what this yes. is now. Or, okay. Midwest. Wow. Midwest hospitality. Oh, Midwest I, I know Nando's. Okay, I, okay, got it. Can we open? Right. Can we go? Yes, open, yeah. open them up. Open them up, and I'll, I'll while while y'all are doing that, because I know it's super compelling podcasting for for people to be doing things. Because um, yeah, you, you can't you can't see what we got, but I have an I have an Olza Prince Polo candy bar, and then Nando's Perinase, which I I know of Nando's, but I've never eaten there because it's a like an East Coast kind of I don't know where they actually started because I know they're in London as well. Yeah, I heard, yeah. I, I heard the chicken is fire there. So <laughs> it, it is, it is. So why I wanted to bring you these things um, is that is, is to be able to share um, with you and, and our, and our listeners is that one of my favorite things is going to the grocery store, both here and yeah. specifically when we're traveling and particularly when we're abroad, um, because I think that that's just a great way mm-hmm. to get to know a place. Um, even if you're not super into food, I mean, it certainly helps if you're into food and I'm very into food, but I think you really get like a much more authentic, um, sense of culture and place when you go to the grocery store. Cause that's, people are just in their everyday life. When you're there, you, you sort of see what the masses eat, you know, um, somewhat what they value, what they like. Um, and so whenever we travel, we try to, the the grocery store is one of our favorite places to go. Like we were just in um, Mexico visiting my husband's parents and like a highlight of the trip was going to the grocery store there and just marveling at all the stuff and trying new things and, and whatever. And so I say this to tell you that I brought you, um, two things that, that you can just find at a grocery store. And one of them is from my childhood and one is influenced by a pre pandemic travel discovery. So the Prince Polo. That is a Polish candy bar. I am 50% Polish. There is something like the greatest concentration of Polish people outside of Poland, outside of Chicago, primarily in a town called Niles, Niles, Park Ridge, and I think Skokie has a fair number of Polish people too. But my mom grew up in a town called Niles uh, and my grandparents lived there for a very long time. So I grew up going there and we would frequently go to a Polish grocery store, a Polish market there. Um, And me, something that will surprise you as we get talking about food, I was an extraordinarily picky eater, like extraordinary. Um, and so it's a wonder that I am the foodie I am today. And I still have some weird things that I won't eat that most people do, but I am much less picky and I'm much more adventurous when it comes to food now. So in my childhood, what I would look at in that store was the candy. And so I was drawn to the Prince Polo, which Feel free to dig in, although I know that can be awkward too, eating on a podcast. So I'll let you know that to me, I would describe it as like a lighter, flakier Kit Kat. And it's got dark chocolate, which I prefer most uh, often yeah. to milk chocolate. Just just looking at it, I can see the dark chocolate is, is, is a plus one. And then the wafer action, there's, yeah. there's Kit Kat, but there's also uh, the bars, I feel bar none and whatchamacallit. Both were kind of like wafer based. And I, I can see where I'm, I can definitely get some, uh, whatchamacallit vibes from this. I can't, I can't wait to dig in. Yeah. I'm not going to be chewing on the podcast, but I will definitely be digging in after. All after right. We're done with well, enjoy. 
Then the other thing, yes, Nando's. So there are a few outposts of Nando's in the States. It's actually originally from South Africa is where the chain started. And then I think spread to, yeah, I know there's quite a few in the UK. It's very popular. And then there are also some in New Zealand, which is the first, which is where I first experienced Nando's. And then, and we went to New Zealand in 2019, pre-pandemic. And so we did eat at, at a Nando's for lunch one day. And yes, the chicken was great, all that. And now these products are actually pretty readily available. I feel like, I don't know if they were always there and I just hadn't noticed them, but now I'm looking for whether, whatever the case is, uh, I feel like I have now discovered them. They sell their sauces. And then this Perinase, which I brought you because I wanted to share, I know some people come on here and they share like, you know, either popular or unpopular opinions about traditional food stuff. I do not like ketchup. I do not eat ketchup. My- on anything. My older sister does not like ketchup either. A lot of people don't like ketchup. She she likes barbecue sauce though, but no ketchup. And I'm like, wait, barbecue sauce is basically ketchup, but no. It's not no. though. Huh, no, it's, not. You... it's not. It's huh. not. I'm not. <laughs> we'll talk after the show on that. Dude. <laughs> well, my point in saying this is that most people dip their French fries in ketchup. Mm-hmm. I have found that I love dipping French fries in mayonnaise or aioli. The aioli, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And mm. so that Perinase is great to dip fries in because it's a little spicy. You know, and like, yeah, chipotle mayo, a garlic aioli is my absolute favorite thing. So yeah, enjoy. You can also dip your fries in it. The other thing that I do with the Perinase is I make like super quick deviled eggs. Oh, I see. With that, like I use the already done, deviled eggs are a pain in the butt to make if you're, if you're hard boiling your own eggs. But if you buy the pre-done hard boiled eggs, just scoop out the filling, mix the yolks with some like half perinase, half like I use Greek yogurt to be a little healthier or sour cream, whatever you got, whip it up with a hand mixer. Boom. A little, little smoked paprika on the top. I love devil eggs. Yeah. Yeah. There it is. You just gave <laughs> us a cheat code. I know. On devil Wait. eggs. Did you, did you guys hear that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause peeling the eggs is, is kind of a pain. That is the toughest. Cause especially because you want the eggs. Most things with hard-boiled eggs, you can chop them up or whatever. It doesn't matter. But with deviled eggs, you need to keep that egg shape. So you have to be deliberate with the peeling. And then when you get that membrane involved with them, oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so awesome. that, that was that. that the, there are your host gifts. So yes. All Thank right. you so much. Thank you very much. I, I mean, I, I will definitely try the deviled eggs with perinase because I love spicy mayo. I mean, I was reading about a sriracha shortage, which is going to hurt the spicy mayo fans everywhere. But yep. Oh, no. yeah. Yeah. Yikes. So this is this is this is definitely gonna gonna help fill the gap caused by a stretcher shortage in the Perfect. meantime. <laughs> so, Thank you, Martha. Yeah, I told you this was the section of the of, of the pod I was most looking forward to. So throw throw the questions at me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, Nando's. I know uh, DC has a couple of Nando's, and then they're, they're on the East Coast. I've always wanted to try chicken. You've never been, right, Akil? No, I've never had Nando's. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to one day one day akil what you got you got something to share yeah i got one spot um i just recently returned back from incor with santa barbara city college and uh, one spot that i found out in portland it's called the screen door and so this spot i I can't even i can't even i'm about to get into my emotions right now because the food (laughs) is that good it's um a soul food spot and I can honestly say I um, so when I found out that I was going, I was like, OK, first thing I did was like 
I went to Yelp and I'm like, start typing in stuff that I, I felt like I wanted to try when I was in Portland and Portland is kind of known for, it's kind of, it's kind of like a food city. I feel, you know? Um, and so one of the first things I typed in was soul food. And so I was scrolling down and there was one spot that appeared. I'm like, Oh, that looks kind of good. But then I hit this spot. It looks like I can honestly say over 7,000 reviews y'all. It was like 7,500 reviews. It was almost five star. So I'm like, okay, I, this is this is my destination, right? So I went there the first night, ordered the catfish, the mac and cheese, and I'm almost even embarrassed to say the french fries. There was no greenage on that plate whatsoever. <laughs> That's All okay because right. I atoned for I atoned for that later because I went back like three nights out of the four, <laughs> four nights that I, I was I was traveling for work in Portland. But the first night I got the the catfish and like my mom's probably not listening to this show, but it's probably one of the best, better, the second best. You don't have to say better. You don't have to say better. You can say one of the best. I got one of the real. best. One, one of the best. One of the best. <laughs> one of the best. I would say, okay, best restaurant catfish I ever ate. Let's say that, right? And then the second night, and I went with uh, Carrie Hutchinson, Elizabeth Imhoff, and Annette. I forget Annette's last name. She's a professor here. They're all attending the conference. We went back. I had to take them back the second night. And then I got the uh, fried chicken. This place, y'all, man, like if you ever find yourself in Portland, you have to go there. It's like incumbent on you. It's interesting because I, you know, soul food does not jump out to me as, as the type of food I would, I would look for in Portland. Yeah. So it's good, good on you that you trusted your Yelp whisper instincts. And, you know, man, I was like, and then I tried the fried oysters um, that were amazing. The fried okra was good. The lemon vinaigrette coleslaw was really good. So, um, and the drink, they have a drink called like the, I think it was like a hibiscus punch. And that's absolutely amazing. It's a nice tea. But man, listen, don't sell yourself short and not go there if you're ever in Portland. I, it's really that good of a restaurant. And side note, I think Carrie... And all of them would testify because after we finished that, they were like, this is one of the best restaurants I've been to in a long time. <laughs> and I was like, and, you know, because of the, the pandemic, they probably haven't been that out. But then I was like trying to tell them, I'm like, come on, y'all. Y'all know how I show up, you know, like I, this, is, this is what I do. <laughs> so, so, so mm-hmm. Martha, in terms of your food discovery, are you Yelp, Google reviews? I mean, is there a method to your when you're traveling somewhere? Yeah, I I am usually a Google and then find like Eater or the equivalent of that, you know, Eater LA or whatever, wherever it happens to be going or, you know, the the city or town or state magazine, you know, if they've ever done like a the 20, you know, the 20 essential restaurants right now, the best, this, mm. whatever that I also look to new, you know, whatever's new, um, new plus like standbys because you know you like to do a mix of things like that i will trust yelp if there are like like what you just said akil the overwhelmingly five-star reviews but i've gotten burned a few times by yelp i feel like so i don't i don't rely on yelp entirely because also like you gotta you gotta take yelp with a grain of salt sometimes if there aren't a ton of reviews because if there's like a few negative ones and you start to actually read what they say you're like oh you just sound Picky. You can tell they're a complainer. Yeah, yeah you, you can either tell they're a complainer yeah, yeah, or they yeah. like, didn't know what they were getting into. And you're like, yeah, yeah. Oh, 
said it was a Thai restaurant. Did you not understand? You know, I'm making that up, but anyway, yeah, no, I, I usually rely on like, yeah, write-ups, blogs, that sort of thing. And, and then honestly, I found I do a lot on Instagram these days. I then look at that list and then I go find the restaurant's Instagram profile and scroll mm. through pictures, either user or, you know, the, the restaurant itself. And that usually paints a pretty good picture as to whether or not I Think I want to go. Yeah, I, I call Akil the Yelp whisperer, but you know, I feel like Akil's game has evolved too, where it's not just Yelp. Like he's he's got a holistic picture of, of, of food food cultures in a lot of cities from his from his research. So yeah, he's I can always trust Akil Akil's guidance. Nice. Yeah. So what do you got but, for us? I'm I'm uh, I got uh something in town local. Um used to be a Pollo Loco on middle upper state street. Now they're uh, rebranded as Pueblo Pollo. Um, it's one of those things where at first I thought they were just like dodging tax codes or something because, you know, usually <laughs> you just change a name and you can put on as your new owner, but no, they are no longer part of the El Pollo Loco franchise thing. And they, I mean, I thought it was to avoid paying franchise fees, but they've upgraded the food in a lot of ways. They're doing halal meat now, but they also added, um, I think they're from Pakistan. I'm not sure, but they've added, uh, uh, like South Asian foods. They have biryani, they have rice pudding, you know, with rose water in it and everything. So it's just kind of you know we talked about last episode flavor of india was our kind of standby indian place and uh it still is great restaurant in town but their biryani's never been like the best thing on their menu so the biryani at pueblo pollo is pretty good i would say it's definitely probably the best in town that i've had and then the rice pudding is very good as well so like you may be inclined to drive by it just because you know you thought it was a pollo loco now there's like now it's just a random place that is using all the pollo loco assets and some of the similar menu items but they have put a lot of care into it. I mean, it's not exactly a destination place that so you got to go out of your way to try it. But if you're in the area or, or you're craving that kind of food, like it's, it's definitely a welcome respite. And I, I do get the biryani once a week. My wife is definitely hooked and I'm hooked by association. So I get the rice pudding and stuff too, but they're, they're, they're opening up. They're adding more stuff too. They have like, they have like chop, like, you know, the, the, the snacky sweet mm-hmm. chop, the chop flavor is very, it's like umami, but it's also very sweet. So it's, yeah, it's, Oh yeah, so so they they've got some great stuff. I'll put I'll put a link to their their place in the show notes. Polo Pollo used to be a Pollo Loco, but yeah, kind of different now. I was I, gonna tell you, Akil, it must be good because Hong has we have a office chat, you know, group chat on on G Chat, and I swear he's been telling us about a dish from there at least. The biryani, time. oh yeah, yeah, and then and yeah. Kirsten Kirsten went too, and she enjoyed it. So nice. The, nice. the the funny thing is, I I, I know the owner. Uh, of that restaurant uh, from just going to the mosque and stuff. And the owner, he's hilarious. He's super, a good guy. Yeah. Such a funny guy. Such a funny guy. Super friendly, super like, you know, present when you have a conversation with, you know, sometimes you meet some owners in the restaurant they're like frazzled because they're thinking about uh, 500 other things. Uh, not him. He's totally present in the conversation, making sure that you, you know, have a good time, a good experience with the food. So I, I really, uh, have a lot of respect for that uh, for that family and he's and he's been in the game a long time because i remember he worked at up loco for mm-hmm. a while he was up at the one in galita and then yep. they closed and he came back to back. this one mm-hmm. and then the franchise thing lifted i guess he he kind of wanted to do his own thing and, and he's doing it yeah and yeah he's doing he's got the pollo loco the classic like citrus marinated chicken and all that stuff and then he's adding the the, the foods kind of near and dear to his heart and he's like knocking them out of the park doing a great job so yeah any chance i can shout him out i will do so very nice. Very nice. 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 Well, I feel like since I only got to talk about my grocery store stuff, can I rapid fire some of my favorite local places? Let's Do it. go. Let's go. 
I thought it might, and I, I, I figured that I should, because y'all are the Santa Barbara experts. So I do have my favorites in Santa Barbara, but I wanted to give a couple shout outs to some, some Ventura County places. First up, Frontside Cafe in downtown Ventura on, uh, wow, gosh, I should have been prepared with this. Just search for it. It's, I'll it, put it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, it's just a little ways out, outside of downtown um, next to a Toppers and Transmission Brewing. But they are just open for breakfast and lunch. Uh, they're a cute little cafe. The owner is not from Australia, but apparently traveled to Australia and really loved it. And so they, they tout themselves as an Australian cafe. And so the main thing I will tell you is that that means that they serve something called a flat white, which you've probably seen on the menu at Starbucks. But we got real into drinking when we were in New Zealand because it's also basically when you walk into a coffee shop in New Zealand and I assume I've not been to Australia, but I think in Australia as well, it basically either says black or white or sometimes it'll say flat white, long black. Those are the names of the drinks. And a long black is basically just straight up espresso. Sometimes you add some hot water to it. So then it's a little like an Americano, but there's something different about how they make the particular shot of espresso. Um, I talk, I will tell you that I love these things, but then I cannot tell you precisely exactly how, how it's made. But anyway, a flat white is like a stronger, it's like a latte, but with not as much milk and the milk is smoother and it's delicious. And they have amazing pastries as well. And then, you know, I made some notes for this um, when we were originally going to record this about <laughs> like six to eight weeks ago. And I am set, and, and this is not dragging on anyone for, for delaying, delaying the recording, but I just say that because one of my other absolute favorite places is a, was because it closed in the time that I made these. <laughs> oh no. It's a place called Cafe de Suro in downtown Ventura. It was our go-to on Saturday mornings. We go to the farmer's market in Ventura and we would stop and get coffee and the best croissant you will ever taste outside of France. Um, but they suddenly closed down. I got a text yeah. from one of my friends who also loved it. She was like, oh my God, de Suro closed. And I was like, wait, what? We were just there three days ago and there was no sign of anything being amiss. Um, so we don't know what's going on because they also, unfortunately, and this could be part of the reason for their demise, they don't really have a web presence, like nothing, but there's a little sign on the door that says new cafe coming soon. So we don't know what's going to happen. So keep an eye on that space. And if anything from the folks behind Cafe de Soro reopens, I encourage you to try it. <laughs> and then Hong, you know this, my absolute favorite place is in, in uh, it is technically Ventura, um, is Caribbean Haven. Um, so good. It's in. Have you been there, Akil? I feel like you said you have. Yeah, yeah. Is that? Yeah, I think I've been there. It's, is that in? It's in the that strip mall. It's yes, yes. Yeah, so yeah. It's in a pretty nondescript strip mall. You know, there's mm -hmm. a Ralph's around the corner. There's a yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you you know, you don't go there to sit. We usually get carry out. I mean, all the uh -huh. people sit there. Obviously, I have amazing jerk. But then, the, so the owner is from the Caribbean. Um, he's not actually from Jamaica. I forget exactly where he's from. And his wife is Filipino. And so the menu is a mix of both Caribbean specialties along with Filipino specialties. So like I love the beef or vegetable um, lumpia. They do amazing empanadas. They have Jamaican patties, which are delicious, mm. like pastry. You know, it's like a savory Pop-Tart. So good. And then this is a little random for this kind of place, but I feel like one of you may have talked about it as well. Or when I mentioned it to you, Hong, you said, oh yeah, their chicken wings are so Yep, good. yep, yep. There's, there's ones that are pineapple sugar cane, which are a little <laughs> sweet. 
and then there's a tamarind barbecue. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, when I'm trying to be healthier, my go-to there is the pineapple glazed salmon. Comes with rice and peas. Awesome coleslaw with sriracha dressing. So let's hope they don't run out. And yeah. And then our other thing is a breweries down in Ventura. And there's usually a food truck or two at them. Uh, favorite spots right now. Topa Topa has been doing some really good IPAs. Sorry, Hong. And you said you're kind of sick of IPAs, but we still love IPAs and they've been doing some interesting ones there. And there is a Mexican food truck called Game Over Catering that is regularly there or at Made West, sometimes at Poseidon Brewing. And they do awesome tacos and nachos are our go-to there. They put a layer of, it's no joke, the menu says cheesy beans. So it's like beans mixed with melted cheese is kind of the base layer. Uh, And then you can get your choice of meat on them. And that is a lovely Saturday afternoon. Excellent choices. Yeah, Caribbean Haven. They have such a, a varied menu. You, you can't really go wrong with anything there, but I haven't had the wings yet. So that, yeah, the, that's, I, I have. The wings are really good. I'll testify. I, I can testify to that. Yeah. The wings are really good. And they have an oxtail burger, which is, listen, I've never seen my mom get down like she did on that burger. I didn't <laughs> think she was going to finish it, dude. She, she slayed it, dude. So wait, they're grinding down oxtail into a patty? It was an oxtail burger. I don't wow. know. If, yeah. Yeah, because that that's I mean, that's that's some precious meat right there. You know, when you get an oxtail, you're lucky to get like three or four bites on that thing in terms of what's left on the what's left. So if they're taking the meat off there and getting enough to get a patty. That kind of oh, text, man. Me, text my mom, Han. Han <laughs> and my mom are, Han and my mom used to work together in, <laughs> and they they still text each other. But text her about it, say, yo, I heard about. Yeah, I need you I need and the oxtail burger, oxtail burger, because I, I will definitely get that next. time. I'll get an order of wings and oxtail burgers. Yeah, there you go. Thank you for those picks. I will get them in the show notes. All right. We're moving along. It's higher learning. Martha, if you want to kick us off again, any piece of culture, book, movie, TV, video game, music, what you got for us? Anything, anything under the sun? Higher, higher, higher learning. Ooh. <laughs> That's I, I, I'm afraid my picks are a little more lowbrow than some of my lowbrow is lowbrow is higher learning in, in, in su- certain subcultures. So whatever hey, you got, I've been slumming. I've been known as slumming on the show too. So <laughs> yeah, I I mean, where you you like like we said in your how we got to SBCC, you take the morsels and nuggets of wisdom where they come. Every piece of culture has a nugget of wisdom to impart onto somebody willing to listen. So absolutely, absolutely. Well. I'm, I, again, I have a lot I could talk about here, even if it is all, you know, not, not the most intellectual. Um, so I, I've settled on two things. One, have either of you ever seen a show called Taskmaster? You told me about it and I watched I, some. Yes, I, I probably yes. did. Yes, <laughs> yes. No, um, I, I haven't though. Okay. Well, and I don't think Hong has watched it, even though I'm pretty sure I sent him a clip. You sent me the YouTube clip. I watched the YouTube clip, but oh, I haven't watched okay. the. I haven't watched the show proper, but I, okay. I got I, I have the general conceit of the showdown. Yes. All right. So Taskmaster is a show that was developed in the UK and now there's been a few versions. And apparently there was a version that they tried to take off in the US and it failed. Um, but anyway, you can find full episodes of it on YouTube, um, the UK version. And basically it's uh, a British comedian named Greg Davis is the host. He is the Taskmaster. 
And he has another comedian named Alex Horn who sits by his side. Uh, And he actually is the one who apparently came up with the show. And like, he's the one who comes up with the challenges and these wacky tasks that the contestants have to do. And so the contestants is, it's actually a panel of five British comedians, um, mostly comedians. Sometimes they're radio hosts or things like that. The ones that the people that I recognize or know are comedians because during the pandemic, my husband and I went pretty deep into watching British panel shows. Uh, so we got to know some kind of the top British comedians. So we now know a lot of them. And then we'd be introduced to other people on the show, which is fun. And so it's five comedians. It's like a, it's 10 episodes per season. So week to week, they come and they do these challenges, or I should say it's all pre-taped. And then they're in, they're in a studio and they watch these challenges back and get scored on them. And the challenges are just, they range from everything from eat this watermelon without using any, you know, with, without using your hands and you're in a blank room and you have to figure out what to do um, to build the most creative X. I really should have prepared better to explain this. I'm sorry. It's somewhat indescribable. I will tell you that. If you want to get a feel for it, Hong, you should put the clip that I shared with you in there. And the thing about the show is that, well, I'm going to try to intellectualize it a little bit. It makes you see how people's minds work a bit. And it makes you see how like there are different ways to approach problems. So it's, it's kind of like creative problem solving on display. But then in between, you know, they're wisecrack because they're comedians. They're talking through what they're doing and they're not afraid to make fun of themselves. And it's just it results in really, really compelling and funny TV, but it's also a great escape and it's just highly entertaining. And it's, yeah. And escapism is very important. I also, while I was watching, I had a meta conversation about why do we obey orders sometimes, even when there's no real reason to, you know, like, like what, why, why do these people, like, why don't they just, take the headset off and just walk away like this is crazy i'm not doing this anymore <laughs> i mean i think it's because it's because it's also you're compelled to win and so that's yes. the other thing like you're sitting the, there like i'm a the gamification athlete. aspect of yeah. it but yeah so there's 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 lots of meta conversations we had even in the most quote-unquote lowbrow you know yeah. but escapism is there's nothing wrong with that and it, it's just funny and it's a great show and yeah. if you really like are into like british humor and stuff like that yeah because yeah, it, it is an acquired taste for some it is it is and i'll admit i used to not have it and then we just started watching more of it um and this show along with a show called would i lie to you which is a panel show that i think you can find on amazon prime actually and then um eight out of ten cats does countdown countdown is apparently like the uk's version of like wheel of fortune as in like it's on every night everybody knows it although a majority senior citizens watch it um and so they took the traditional, and it's a letters and numbers game. Like there's letters and it's literally, that's it. Like there's letters round and a numbers round. It's like doing anagrams and then trying to do simple uh, arithmetic to get to a target number. But same thing, they have a panel of four comedians play the game instead of just normal, regular people. And it, and it results in hilarity, but also you play along and it's fun. So then the other thing, this may be, heresy maybe i don't know if that's the right word or not to is is i'm going to suggest another podcast so when you're not listening (laughs) and i think you two would really dig it and i feel like you could i feel like you could do your own version of it something called off menu either of you listen to this 
I've heard, heard about that. I've heard of this one. So this is, I feel like I'm only talking about British stuff, but you know, hey, it's a theme. Um, British comedians, James Acaster and Ed Gamble host it and they have, they welcome a guest. Um, sometimes it's, sometimes it's a fellow comedian. Sometimes it's a pop music star, actor, mostly British, but some sometimes American and some Australians as well. And they basically bring them in and they ask them to describe their, their, the premises that you're at the dream restaurant. And so anything is possible. And you say what you want for a starter, as they say, starter, main, side dish and dessert. And there's a few other questions. I don't want to spoil it for you because part of the delight of getting into the show is how they kind of start off each episode. So give it a go. If you're unsure about it, unsure if you like British comedy, whatnot, I would recommend maybe starting with, they did an episode with Ed Sheeran. You know, everybody knows Ed Sheeran. So maybe, maybe, maybe give that a go. They also have had a few of the like Daily Show correspondents on Martin Freeman of uh, Fargo and um, Lord of the Rings, uh, right? Fame. Uh, so, you know, pe- pe- start with some people, you know, and then you can start listening to the more obscure folks. If you're open to more obscure folks, there is a British comedian named Bob Mortimer, who this guy, I don't know if it's, it's like a combination of his delivery of things along with, I think he must just be the kind of guy who is up for anything all the time and just, and, and will talk to anyone because he seems to have amassed the most fascinating collection of stories and random occurrences in his life. And so then whenever you hear him on a panel show or on this podcast, like it's just, it's hilarious. Like this podcast we got real into listening to you on a, on a road trip to Oregon, actually, last fall, and we haven't been able to stop listening ever since. And I was I, I have started crying from laughing in the car um, at some of the stuff that has come up on this. So give it give it a listen. You will not be disappointed. Sounds good. Yeah, great picks. I'll definitely look up the Bob Mortimer episode of Off Menu because I have heard of it. And I do like that. The, the conceit of the show, the idea is a good idea because yeah. you could pick anything you want. I mean, yeah, it's, it's just yeah. a good idea. Yeah. Thank you for that. I'll put in the show notes. Keel, you want to go? You want me to go? Um, doesn't matter. You can hop in there, and I I'll close this out. Or all right. So I my pick this week for my culture is is uh still to do with food. Um, June second was National Donut Day. <laughs> so we were talking about donuts earlier, Martha. You know, just just randomly, but yeah. Uh, there was a movie that came out in two thousand, I think twenty twenty one or twenty twenty, called The Donut King. And um, it's the story about a guy named Ted Noy, who is a, a Cambodian refugee who fled the violence in Cambodia. And, and you know, if you, if you don't know about what happened in Cambodia, you know, as a result of the Vietnam War and all that stuff. And then what happened afterwards with the Khmer Rouge and Pol Pot. I mean, just unspeakable tragedy, just a complete just mayhem and, and just terrible, terrible things. One of my best friends is Cambodian. You know, he has three uncles that he never got to know because they perished and all the stuff that went on. But uh, yeah, Ted Noy <clears throat> came to America. Uh, ended up in Southern California because he was sponsored by a Christian uh, church who was taking in a lot of the boat people that fled. And he ended up working at Winchell's, became a manager at Winchell's, uh, and then decided to open up his own donut shop. And in the process, he sponsored uh, a bunch of his, you know, people he knew from in Cambodia that were coming over, just uh, relatives, acquaintances, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it ends up being Cambodians end up owning about 80% of the donut stores in California because of Ted's initial, you know, conceit and bringing over and getting family involved. And in terms of like, even today, most of the donut stores in California independent, you know, Duncan is only just started coming in within the last five years. Winchell's is 
basically the only big chain that's that's you know pervaded because they were there before but everything else is independent donut shops if you see if you go look around your neighborhood you'll probably notice a bunch of independent donut shops and a lot of them oh yeah krispy kreme but krispy kreme started inside of supermarkets yeah they were like they they were in supermarkets and then they like just started opening up like there still aren't that many standalones but you're right i feel like krispy kreme and duncan are in in terms of similar saturation where krispy kreme probably has a few more because they were you know they got a decent number but most of the donut shops in california are mom and pop and of those mom and pop donut shops most of them are, are run by Cambodians or Southeast Asians because, you know, in town here, we have Ellers and we have those uh, spud nuts and stuff. A lot of them are Thai owned. So mm-hmm. it's not Cambodian, but it's still Southeast Asian and a similar kind of situation. But um, so the movie is about Ted and his rise and fall, because at a certain time he was like just raking it in. And mm-hmm. then, you know, he had gambling problems and that. And so the movie doesn't touch on this until the very end, but I evidently, there was, you know, in terms of the parents ran the donor shops, it was a good life, but very difficult life. You know, if you ever, if you know donor shop owners, especially in LA and, and, and a lot of the places, they're 24 hours. The donor shops here close at five, but a lot of donor shops are 24 hours. So it's a grueling life. You're making donuts, you know, middle of the night, you're there all day. So a lot of the kids grew up in these businesses and it's kind of become an open question of what happens to this next generation, whether they, because, you know, it is a quote unquote a successful business, but it's also a business that the parents don't really want their kids to be in. Yeah. You know, I came to this country to make a living, but I also came to this country so you would have a better life than I did. So there's a, a big conversation. There's a lot of articles about it recently that I can link to. One of one of the donut uh, kids, this girl, Maylee Tao, um, she grew up in her mom's donut shop in Santa Monica, DK's Donuts. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the thing about DK's is her mom was a Ted Noy. You know, she, she married into Ted Noy's family and got a donut shop that way. That, that's not why she married into the family, but she has, <laughs> you know, she's, she's related to the donut king. And so May Lee, <laughs> May Lee was working in the donut shop, left, you know, went to college, you know, did all this stuff, worked for various companies, came back to the donut shop, social mediated out, you know, got mm-hmm. on Instagram, was doing fancy donuts, yep. and goosed business about like three or four times. And, you know, that's one of those arguments where it's like, Oh, this is this, you know, like the kids did good here, but then at the same time, like they, you know, like they eventually like within the last year sold the business. And now she wrote a book about that experience of being second generation and stuff. And also does like donut consulting for other donut shops to like go viral because I guess DK's they really blew up, but yeah, it it was, so it was not only the, the, the initial story of Ted Noy, but the story about the kids, because, you know, as a, as a child of refugees myself, that's a conversation that, you know, is, is really coming up now. I mean, because, I mean, look at me, I'm, I'm over 40 years old now. And that conversation is still kind of ongoing. Like, like this generation, my generation, there's still a lot of flux there. We still don't know our place, you know, like we definitely know we want to take care of our parents. We definitely know a lot of stuff, but we don't exactly know. Yeah. So, so yeah, the, the book is called, let's see, it's called an American dream of sprinkles, Maylee's book. Um, and then the movie is called Donut King. And then, you know, in terms of in-town donut shops, uh, Martha and I were talking about Hook and Press for the fancy, the fancy high, highfalutin donuts. They have an everything bagel donut. Sididi donuts. <laughs> Sididi donuts, yes. <laughs> for the Sididi donuts, you go Hook and Press. But for the classic, like, cake donut, like Martha was much to say, she's, she's, you know, likes the cake donuts, uh, Ellers. And then, oh. uh, you know, the bagel shop on the Mesa, I think they get their donuts from Ellers, too. So they're a good, right. a good backup. So. That's good to know. That's good to know. I, I down in Oxnard, uh, I like Masters Donuts. They're just, yeah, you know, I, I'm not sure where the owners are from, but they are, they are, I believe they are Southeast, Southeast Asian. Yeah, possibly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, see, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a classic I, assortment of, yeah, cake, 
you know, the airy ones. Yeah. But I love just a double chocolate cake donut though. I will say that hook and press everything donut was unlike anything I had ever had before. And I was surprised I liked it, but I really (laughs) liked it. Yep. So yeah. And and that, that mom and pop donut shop culture is, I mean, first place I knew that you could buy cigarettes like solo, like single cigarettes for a quarter was the donut shop near my house in LA. So (laughs) It, it also sounds like all of us maybe have, um, are missing out on a fantastic career in being donut consultants. <laughs> if you got that game. This, like, what are we so- doing? Why are we not donut consultants? You could probably do it because you got that marketing communications background. But yeah, that I'm not, I'm a bad, I'm not even on social media. So I, I feel could probably do it too. But yeah, not, not hey, me. Hey, no joke. DK's donuts are good. I've been there. I would definitely, you know, is that the home of the, like the Nuts too. Yes, they, they were the, the they yeah, were the, the ones, ones that yeah. you can't call it the Corona. It was probably it's the dos do- do- or something else. But yeah, 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 because yeah. the guy trademarked it. Dominique can't sell, so you couldn't call it the Corona. But they were the ones that uh, that uh, were inspired by the Corona at first and yeah. brought it to the West Coast. Yes, y- yep. That's man. It's yeah. I've been there a few times. It's man, super good, super. And, good. and, and that might have been Maylee or the mom, but yeah, they they recently sold the business to someone else. But another. They kept it. They kept it. Uh, they sold to someone else. Um, and the they yeah, they maintained that kind of high quality and stuff. But I mean, it was time to retire. It's a grind for sure. So yeah, nice. All right, Akil, what you got? So in light of going to Incor, um, was it national conference on race and race and equity? I'm going to actually go with an individual that spoke. I actually had the good fortune to be able to attend her session it's a lady by the name her name is loretta ross and uh, she's an african-american activist feminist and a professor and she really kind of speaks she speaks on a lot of different things reproductive justice is one of her hallmarks that she speaks on but the session that i attended it was called uh, calling in calling out um and she was talking basically about uh calling uh calling people in um, versus calling people out or counseling them out uh, or counsel or basically counsel culture. And so just really inspiring words in light of all, you know, I think as we move forward, our institution as well, as we move forward to try to be more socially just and, and equitable and, and unearthing some stuff or unearthing different ways of, of looking at the equity gaps that our students face, there's different ways of doing this work. And I think sometimes, uh, you know, with council culture or call out culture, I would say that in that process of that, um, a lot of, you know, there's a right way to do things and, and, and not a right way to do things. And so just her voice and what she kind of brought to the session about, you know, the way that we call people in and, and, and where we're calling them uh, in from a place of love and togetherness and a community, super uh, motivating uh, and, and inspirational, to be quite uh, honest. She has a really interesting story. Uh, she's from Texas and she was grew up, I think she was born like in the, in the 50s or early 50s. And basically, you know, she was raped at a young age. And at the time, abortion wasn't legal. And so she basically raised the child. Right. And so she talked a lot about that experience and that, and that, how that shaped her. And then she kind of tied it in with, you know, calling people in or to having difficult conversations around race 
from a place of love. Just really an amazing woman. And I hope that, you know, one day we have the good fortune of having her on our campus because there's so much wisdom and so much thoughtfulness. I think that our institution can really benefit from in a message that people uh, really need to hear in regards to calling people into the conversation about social justice instead of calling people out. That's who I want to talk a little bit about. Uh, She has TED Talks. So you can probably maybe throw that in the show notes as well as, you know, her website, uh, Loretta Ross can go there. And I know she's teaching classes on it too. And here's how dope she is. She was teaching, like, I think, I I forget if it was a two, four part or six part series. It was basically, she's charging $5 a class. You know, she wanted to make it equitable to the masses. It's a four part because I remember her saying it's $5 a class and there's four classes. She said it's $20. And so uh, just there's a lot there. She's an ocean and I just really admired her. Uh, She kind of motivated me to kind of look at this work in a different light. And so that's who I wanted to make mention of Loretta Ross. And hopefully we can bring her to Santa Barbara City College. And because I think we need to hear that message uh, because it's pretty spot on. Thank you for that, Akil. Yeah, I feel like that that conversation is we're still looking for that kind of equilibrium point, you know, like the, the cancel culture and calling calling people out calling people in it's it's finding that balance i mean it's it's it, everything moves so fast and on a global scale that it's it's hard to find the sweet spot and it, and it is it's a good reminder that yeah we, we are not there yet so that you know what, how we do things now is always going to change and evolve and we should kind of come from that place of love you know yeah love grace uh giving people space to grow and and to reconcile with some of what they thought to their truths that may necessarily not have been true by creating that space. And so I think, I mean, as a campus, you know, we need to have these type of conversations. I I really believe that. Yeah. My, my son of refugee brain has always been hesitant to, to call, call people out to cancel them because I grew up always afraid of revenge, (laughs) Mm. (laughs) like people coming back and coming after me. And like, like, yeah. So I've always been like, if I affect someone's livelihood or accept anyway, like they're going to come after me. So I'm, I'm just going to lay low. I mean, we, it's always been in general, just like a lay low, let, let things as go as they may. But you mentioning Loretta and how she speaks and framing it, you know, a place of love and things of that sort. I feel like that, that is kind of what should guide me as opposed to being afraid of retribution, you know, like it may be the same action, but the mm-hmm. intention and the intention being from love, I feel like will just make, it just makes it a better process overall. So, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So thank you. I will, I will get that in the show notes. Um, and yeah, thank you, Keel. Thank you, Martha, for coming on the show yes. today. Thank you so much, Martha. It was, it was a pleasure, you, honor having you. And uh, before, we, before we go, any last words you'd like to say? Um, oh, I just want to say thank you to you both. I think you're excellent hosts. It's a special skill to be able to do something like this. So, so I'm so glad that you're doing it, that you've, you've teamed up in this way. I think it's a great thing for the campus. And, uh, you know, I hope... I, I, I hope uh, I said some things that some people can identify with and that they feel like maybe they can, you know, approach me and talk to me about something random. And, and yeah, I look forward to getting to know more people across campus as more and more people come back and there's more activity on campus. Absolutely. Excellent. And thank yeah. you for always in, including the podcast in the cliff notes. Oh, <laughs> you can, you have Sally on my team to thank for that. Okay. Fully thank you, Sally. Her. <laughs> yeah, so I, I will definitely get uh, our help request form in the show notes. Uh, marketing at spcc.edu 
if you have any uh, specific requests for that. Otherwise, like Martha said, shoot her a line, Google chat, send her an email, say hello. Um, she is still relatively new, although I've been here since like 2018. I still feel like an SPCC baby myself. So I don't know if that newness ever goes away. Oh, <laughs> oh, don't tell me that. No, <laughs> That's probably just me. Like it's, it's, I'm trying to, I have a lot of like imposter syndrome, you know, like I don't feel like a local in town. I've been here since 07. Like there's just a lot. Yeah. It's, there's huh. no local, there's no local test. There's no graduation. Like you're either, you either are, or you aren't. And I may never be, but you look at a key. Look at the key. Like you got, he's cam- right. Listen, he's listen. right. No, no, you got, you got campus cred. You got campus <laughs> credibility, you know? Yeah, no, definitely you get that. The, the keel cosine helps helps a lot. So <laughs> not even. Not, hey, you're you're talking about being scared of retribution. You better be <laughs> you better carefully associate my, my name with you. People be uh, like, oh, he hangs out with the keel. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, never. Yeah. Thank, thank yes. you both so so much. Thank you, Martha. Thank you, and Martha. Contact me. Contact me. Contact me. I want to help. Right. And all right. Take care, y'all. Until next time, this was Vicero Voices. Peace. So long. Uh,